I hope you guys are ready to talk with the filmmaker extraordinaire that is James Rath, the legally blind director. Go ahead, just let that sink in. Let just marinate on that because um, he's going to tell us how he does it all. So our guest is here, James Rath, filmmaker extraordinaire. I'm gonna give it a couple more minutes for more people <laughs> to come in the chat because you know we want to get this party cracking and we want people to really be engaged and understand what the new narrative is all about to know that this is about changing the narrative of what we have been unfortunately conditioned to believe people with disabilities like how they live their life how they become successful and whatever it is that they want to do so you know this is gonna be such a good conversation y'all like i need y'all to know that like this is about to be super lit we're about to learn so much i'm about to learn so much i told james before like yo there's so much i don't know about blindness so i didn't even want to like do any extra research beyond what i already know about him because this is my guy this is my friend so i was like we finna learn together so you know let's do it are you guys ready are you guys ready for this live right now hello hey. all right hey. how's it going what's up how are you <laughs> i'm doing uh -oh. well yes yeah, so people are excited already to see you um we are and hear you <laughs> this is the thing i'm gonna have to look <laughs> we're gonna talk about all this stuff there's so much that we have to cover it's insane and so i'm going to try to do my best to just keep the questions like on track because you know me i'll go to the left very quickly <laughs> i know you, you yeah you already know <laughs> james my guy my friend of years now we oh, have man, i know isn't that crazy? We have worked together on so many different things. Um, the Tommy Hilfiger campaign that we did back in 2018 was solely directed by James. I just was in there being the voice and one of the people in the commercial. Uh, we went to France together to promote Tommy Hilfiger Adaptive to talk about that whole process. We've been to VidCon multiple times together. All of that stuff. We, we've been rocking together multiple times. So this is why, like, I really wanted you to come on as a guest for this. You know, the new narrative. You know, everything that I've done with Sitting Pretty and mm -hmm. what you do, too, is all about creating a new narrative about people with disabilities and how we live our lives and how we just navigate society and how we're able to also live out our dreams and passions in the process so you are like the quintessential <laughs> embodiment of that because i think what you do is absolutely amazing so yeah. i want us to really like dive into all of that so like you know mm -hmm. give a little backstory about you weren't born blind right you became blind well uh yes and no uh so okay. i was actually born legally blind and okay. i uh, to make a long story short, I, I kind of go into a longer story in a video on my YouTube channel called The Time I Went Blind Again. Yeah. Uh, so basically what happened was there was an experimental surgery. I got it when I was about 12 years old. And 
it worked for about two and a half years. It was progressively getting better uh, on track to actually take driver's ed and hit the mark visually where you can actually legally drive in Pennsylvania at the time where I lived. And all of a sudden overnight, it just vanished. Pretty much all just went away, um, all the progress that had been made. And my vision reverted back to my legal blindness mark, which is a 20 over 300, 20 over 400 in the other eye. And to be considered legally blind, like make yourself in that spectrum, your vision has to be an acuity of 20 over 200 at its best in terms of like being corrected. Uh, for me, mine's like 20 over 300, 400. So. Got it. Yeah. So in the middle of that, like spectrum of blindness, pretty much. Yeah. So then when that happened to you, when did you make the decision that you were like, okay, you know what? this is what's happening i mean i know i had my moment when i was like sure. okay look i have a disability i'm a wheelchair user this is what it's just gonna be like when did you make that decision that you weren't going to kind of like letting that traumatic experience define your future so for me it pretty much was a tough decision to kind of accept and it took quite a few months but i was already in the direction when it happened. Mm -hmm. I wasn't as, I think, angry or upset. And it's because during the time when I could see better and was considered, you know, sighted with just like poor eyesight that was gradually getting better, I always felt like something was missing. I always felt like there was something that, something didn't sit well with me. And really, it's it's really the context and the backstory of why I got the surgery. It was from a lot of heavily being bullied around this time um, at like 11 years old that drove me into a super deep depression. Um, mm -hmm when that happens, you know, self-harm and, and, and all that right. led me to wanting to fit in, wanting to fit the norm, fit the expectations that society, and, and it's funny to think like other 11 year old kids wanted me to have, uh, mm -hmm. which is wild and such a, like thinking about it, I don't want any kid to ever have to go through that. I don't want anyone to feel like they're isolated because of their disability. And very much when I had to sort of embrace and accept that hey, maybe there's a reason why I have a disability. Maybe it's it's meant to be some sort of blessing in disguise, um, you know, and it's up to me to actually really reveal that. Uh, so when I did lose my sight again, I got the confirmation that, yeah, no, this is this is reverted and it's, it's uh, you know, you're not just having a bad eye day or a couple of days in a row. It really made me have to think a bit about, all right, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do? Obviously, job opportunities are going to be a little bit different. Um, right. And and luckily, we were. I was doing YouTube for fun. I always loved filmmaking. I, my YouTube channel had been open since I was like nine or ten years old. So two thousand six. I, yeah. I. What? Yeah, you can go in the about section of it on uh, YouTube.com/slash James Rath, and you can see October I think nineteenth two thousand six. And it's it's because I I'm a very um, techie person. I'm a very tech head, but I also just I love. Uh, technology because of the accessibility of it the the idea that it's forward thinking there's i really saw youtube was going to play a big role in my career and future down the line or at least something like it if youtube didn't last through those those years but it did yeah. and and uh i very much have gotten so much work and success because of the way i've been able to build community and and present myself on youtube and and that's what i really came to realizes around this time when I was making videos on YouTube, I'm like, well, who knows, maybe 
maybe there's a platform for me to share myself. And at the time I wasn't sharing, I wasn't opening up about my visual impairment on YouTube. I was just making short films, scripted things, things that mm -hmm. dramas, comedies, whatever um, yeah. I wanted to come up with at the time. And eventually, again, I, people asked, why are your eyes moving? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll talk about, I have ocular, um, or specifically nystagmus, which is why the eyes are constantly shaking back and forth. And um, it does actually make me see everything in vertigo and a mm. consistent blurry mess. Um, and then at the same time, then people, it, more questions come out of like, oh, how did you get it? I'm like, oh, it, it's actually triggered by another ocular condition I have called uh, ocular albinism and uh, then more questions about oh wait you're an albino I'm like yes yeah, so well there's four types of albinism major types and again you just you yeah. keep getting probed more questions in your comments and, and eventually I'm just like all right well I'll make a video about this and, and what that's like also if you kind of see my head tilted I actually have um, the chat here on my other screen super enlarged and it's actually able to read your comments to me when I enable that um, so that's, I love that. that's why I might be over we here essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, pulled it up on the, on the web browser. On my and Mac, I think so. that's so interesting because it's like, although we have two totally different disabilities, yeah. it's like the more I talk to like my other friends with disabilities, it's the same story. Like it's the most interesting story that like we started making content. And then like one day people are like, well, why are you using a wheelchair? And it's like, okay, well, let me explain this. And then more questions happen, then more questions and more questions. Then you start making like more and more content about this. And then you find a way to like merge both the passion with the disability and then like really showcase how to do both and be successful at both. I think one of the biggest things that when I create content for YouTube or Instagram or either or one of the most popular videos ever is like kind of like the do's and don'ts of interacting with people with disabilities. In my case, it'd be, you know, wheelchair users. In your mm -hmm. case, it would be blindness. So what is some of the do's and don'ts? Because I know when people are educated and they understand how to better interact, then that's how we all better interact as a society, right? So yeah. kind of break down almost like a top three do's and don'ts. Because I know you told me a story about like someone picked you yeah. up and carried you across the crosswalk or some shit like that. Yeah. Uh, so this happened in um, here in Los Angeles. I was... Of course I, it I, happened I, in LA. Of course. I mean, it, this, I feel it could happen anywhere, honestly. This is true. Um, and this is why, you know, we, we put ourselves out there. We make ourselves vulnerable so that hopefully it helps to spread awareness and educate. And, and um, other folks with disabilities will encounter this less. It's, it's going to happen, uh, yeah. at least in our current climate of, um, you know, how our society views this disability. And, but yeah. it's, it's, it's hopefully going to happen less. So, yes. uh, yeah, essentially what happened was I, I was getting my Uber, you know, so one way I get around is um, I luckily grew up in the day and age of car ride share services and um, being able to hail a, a car um, with my phone. So that's really neat. But my Uber was parked across the street. Totally okay. I'm an independent blind person who knows how to crosswalk. It's a part of my uh, mobility and orientation training that uh, pretty much every blind person, especially those who grow up with blindness, uh, go through. Whenever like the state or, or the organizations you work with uh, feel it's appropriate for you to learn how to like independently move on your own. For me, it was like it. 13 years old, 14. So I know how to navigate streets. Unless, of course, we go to like a completely different country and things are completely different. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's a whole right. other story. <laughs> we'll um, talk about travel and all of that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, 
with that here in the States, though, I, I feel very confident with how I can handle traffic and stuff. Uh, and a person came up to me and they heard my Uber driver calling my name and they probably recognized me because my photo in the Uber app. Yeah. And I'm like, we'll be right there waiting for when it's safe because I can hear from the, the traffic that the walking signal is definitely not a walking signal. It, it's a halt. Yeah. It's not time to go. And this able-bodied person came up to me and felt like, I, I don't know if it, what was going through her head exactly. of like, oh, this blind person's here. The Uber's over there. They're not going to know how to connect or get to one another. Um, I'm going to take initiative here without even like realizing what the crosswalk is on. And he grabs my arm and starts walking me into traffic and cars are still trying to go and like honking no. at us. And I'm like, what is happening? Imagine if just like at the, the wrong person is going, you know, the, at the right speed. And right. That could have been all bad. Yeah. And like deep down at the very bottom, there was, you know, an intent to help. Yeah. But you can't be reckless and you can't also look at me as someone who is helpless that you can't talk to or communicate with um, in a scenario like that. Because I'm a person who can speak up for when I need that help, um, who doesn't mind the permission uh, or when, when I give permission, of course, or let you know, like, you know, I, I'm good. I, I know where they are. I can hear them. Um, yeah, it was just a pretty... That is so scary. crucial, bro. That is yeah. so crucial because people really don't understand that, like, we do this. Like, this is yeah. our life. Like, clearly, if I'm out here on these streets, I've been out on these streets before. Like, you just talk to me. Tell me, like, if you want to help, whatever the case, like, communicate with me. But don't make the assumption and put my life in danger and run up my anxiety because you want to feel like you're doing the right thing. And that's yeah. the thing It's like, I always know like people deep, deep down inside, the yeah. intention was good, yeah. but because of the layers of just bullshit that has been told, you know, our entire lives about how people with disabilities get down, weighs on top of them, it's like they make irrational decisions without giving us credit of how we navigate the world. I think what's interesting is that you said that when you are blind, you have to actually go through training. I never yeah. knew that because I don't get training to learn how to use a wheelchair. Like, sure. it's, it's like you just get in it and <laughs> you figure that bitch out. You know, <laughs> you, you figure out if you're going too fast, going too slow, what mm -hmm. to hit, what not to hit, like the whole thing. So I never knew that there was an actual kind of like training course that you guys get offered which i think is absolutely yeah. incredible so like what is that like break that down like how long is something like that and and those kinds of things i think it may depend on when you've gone blind uh or if you were just blind since birth um gotcha. and what degree of blindness are you living with what what's the mm -hmm. where are you on the spectrum obviously still falling under medically speaking legal blindness mm -hmm. sometimes when you are considered visually impaired or legally blind um at like the lower numbers they may not always see you as needing things that are like for the total blind but that stuff can be helpful and being aware of it knowing of it a white cane i personally my life has changed um, positively since I started using uh, my white cane, uh, which mm -hmm. is allows me to feel tactical, like 
it allows me to hit things before I actually hit things, right? Got it. And, and it helps me with my spatial awareness. And I was actually never offered that when I was younger. Uh, even though I have no depth perception, I can only see like things in a little bit of detail if they're like literally like two inches from my face and that can't be corrected with any kind of glasses or um, any kind of active surgery right now. The surgery I had back in the day, uh, which was experimental and kind of dangerous and risky, is no longer offered. Um, due to they kind of shut it down because it's uh, the results weren't always um ideal and yeah. so anyway uh luckily i didn't have any damage to my eyes from it um mm -hmm. if anything it's you know i got a little sight for a few years and just cool yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i got i got to experience the life of being a sighted person seeing the chalkboard from like middle of the classroom being able wow. to take the introduction to driver's ed and mm -hmm. um yeah that's cool I'm gonna go back yeah. to my blind life. I don't have much of a choice. <laughs> you anyway. know what's crazy? It's like that's exactly like the same thing. Like we talked about this too. People ask me like, "Oh, how amazing would it be if you can like be able-bodied and walk wherever you wanted to go?" And I was like, ah, "I've been through it. <laughs> I've done it. It's cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> like nothing beats rolling down the street at five miles per hour." <laughs> getting where you have to go i'm not gonna front to you like it's a blast in my eyes so yeah it's one of those things um but yeah, so, talking, yeah go ahead, go ahead, i guess go a ahead. little bit on just kind of to cover the rest of that is um yeah for me for someone who was legally blind at 13 14 now because i was still like visually impaired and they didn't know what was going to happen with the results of the surgery i actually kind of went through my mobility training when i had better sight um and it oh. did continue after I lost my sight again, because they wanted to make sure like, I did feel more comfortable using my ears and, and um, my hearing for navigating traffic. So that that essentially is what that journey looked like for me. I think some kids may go through it a little bit earlier who are totally blind, say like, especially with the white cane training, um, mm -hmm. around the ages of like seven, eight, nine, ten. And then for those who do go blind later in life, it could be a little bit of a longer time frame. Like for me, it took a, probably about on and off, I'd maybe do it once or twice every uh they take me actually out of school to do it um mm. out of some of my classes so that's kind of cool uh yeah. <laughs> and i would do it for about one or two times each month for like three grades so about three years uh i probably had 20 to 30 sessions of it uh Got for it. some people who are obviously doing it day 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 or like who are adults they're able to get it done quicker they're still learning how to be get through life blind, right? Gotcha. So they're still being presented with new challenges in their daily life that they haven't been able to um, adjust to yet. So it's, it's yeah, it can all the time. So with the training, uh, with the cane training, or even with the, the hearing training, mm -hmm. how like detailed is it? Like if you hit your cane against mm -hmm. a shoe versus a fire hydrant, can you genuinely tell the difference? I can tell when something's softer and when something's like a hard surface like metal. I mean, it's all vibrations, but huh. you do kind of feel different tactiles, essentially. Like you get kind of learn like what's concrete, what's a dirt surface, where did you just tap on the grass before I even walk on the grass? Like, so you are able to sort of learn all that. Um, Damn, that's dope. That's dope. <laughs> okay, so I want to get into your filmmaking. Sure. Because I think that's the thing that makes you so like unique and like super dope to me is that you are like a full-blown director filmmaker mm -hmm. who is legally blind. 
And I know just that would have people be like, what in the entire fuck does that mean? So you're a legally blind mm -hmm. filmmaker slash director. We worked together on the Tommy Hilfiger commercial. You directed it. And when we were working together, I really was like, I was like amazed. I was like sitting back like, damn, Jack is really directing the whole commercial right now. <laughs> like this is, this is crazy because like I have, you know, friends who are directors too, who are able-bodied and it there literally wasn't even a difference. And so I'm just curious, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, so obviously there's, there's a few different kind of techniques I use to kind of help me become a little bit aware of the set and everything. And, and so oftentimes, I mean, much like any director going through some blocking, just like an actor would, um, yeah. which is essentially getting guided through the set and, and what's going to be in frame, how much the camera can see. Uh, I go through that with my cinematographer. Um, my cinematographer being someone who can really capture the vision I have in my head and bring mm -hmm. that to life while I direct them and, and, and collaborate in, in that effort. Uh, mm -hmm. So I always kind of make sure I go through some form of blocking ahead of time so i'm aware of the space and and what we're capturing uh another thing is i i mean oftentimes because i am working on independent projects i have to operate a camera myself uh and cameras are in a way accessible and in another way they're not so technically speaking they are not made with accessibility in mind often unless we're talking about something like an iphone or an ipad or an android device that actually has like you know these are full-on computers that have like really good uh, small sensors in them. So they're not ideal for every project, but they do work for a lot of things. And I'll often figure out ways to incorporate an iPhone into some sort of uh, movie that I'm working on or, or video. And um, yeah. be because it's a very accessible thing that I can use. Uh, there's built-in Zoom features. There's actually a full-on screen reader, which is one way that blind people interact mm -hmm. with the internet and, and technology in general that uses, um, whether it's a keyboard or the actual touchscreen with different gestures than what you may normally press, it converts these different gestures and keyboard shortcuts into navigating the entire screen with a, a kind of a block cursor that reads everything on screen. Holy shit. And it can also do that in the camera app. So, and then using machine learning, something like an iPhone could tell you face detected. You, you know, you've seen like um, the autofocus, the yellow yeah. box that yeah. isn't presented in most cameras that the iPhone is able to tell you one face, two face, smiling, um, and, and it says bottom left corner, center corner, you know, uh, it will tell you and essentially- it's literally talking to you yes, saying that. Correct. And if you are recording video, there's some best practices like putting in a piece of a, like a headset or put it, you know, something so it doesn't pick up on the voice it's, itself, unless you, of course, you're just capturing silent video. But yeah, so that's how the technical accessibility can work with a camera. There's obviously a lot that could be improved with actual DSLRs and cameras from companies like Canon, Sony, Panasonic, these companies that do actually make full-on cameras uh, and don't have any kind of accessibility built into their actual operating systems, like the actual uh, yeah. computer chips yeah. of the cameras. But at the end of the day, speaking with my current situation, being that, like I said earlier, I can see a little bit of detail about two to like six inches from my eye and then everything else is just a nice, wonderful spinning blur uh, of color <laughs> and, and a lot of light. So for me also with my underdeveloped retinas, light, people like to think of blindness as like just straight black or darkness. For me, it's the opposite where everything's just super light and, and brighter than it normally is. So uh, like a regular light for you, I oftentimes will wear sunglasses indoors because my eyes are 
seeing that as too much light and it's blinding out some mm. of the colors. Um, so anyway, that aside, the camera itself, it, it's literally a big glorified magnifying glass, right? It's, it's got right. some of the best zooming and some of the best uh, focus you'll ever see on any kind of like off the market magnifier. So yeah. that's why uh, it's just really cool to use a camera. And like one of my favorite things is just, I can make out detail really close with a viewfinder that is so far away. And you know, it's something that you or, or other folks that's may right. take for granted, but yeah. I, like, it's really cool to like be able to, the idea that something that is like a foot, two feet, even across my room, I can use a device and, and suddenly have that detail and have that information brought to my eyes as a person who is considered medically blind. It's awesome. So. So it's like you, like your eyes are like, so, I'm sorry, I'm just like <laughs> blown away by this information. I'm like, yo, this shit is dope. So it's almost like you have like a telescope, like all the time. Well, That's yeah, uh, obviously whenever I have my phone, uh, the yeah, phones have gotten so much better. Yeah, right, you don't yeah. have telescope eyes. It's, <laughs> the phone and helps you telescope stuff. Exactly. And that's the thing, kind of looking back at like, again, how I went through training mobility and stuff. Um, I was taught to be like as sighted as possible, but that also hurts my eyes. It, whenever I do have to focus or, or use my eyes um, actively, again, the picture is not going to be any good. And two, mm -hmm. it actually causes physical migraines because of the underdeveloped retinas. So I have to be very oh, yeah. careful about the endurance of my eyes and how much I'm using them. That's why I personally learned and I advocate for people who are low vision to learn how to be totally blind because you, you're going to have to adapt in certain circumstances. You can't rely on a sense that isn't able to fully obtain all the information around you. But unfortunately, when, you know, sighted people are teaching you uh, yeah. techniques on how to, you know, I feel like the mentality is that they want to help you be as sighted as possible because that's how you, they see that you succeed in the world. That's mm -hmm. not, doesn't work for me. I'm not, I don't have those kinds of eyes. So for me, it's, I got to learn how to use my ears, how to be able to feel different surfaces and textures from vibrations and, and tactile feedback with a white cane. And that's oftentimes what I have to do for most of the day if I'm out and about. Like I can't rely on my eyes in new and continuous long circumstances, right? So I just <laughs> love the way you literally like explain that, that you literally were just like, when sighted people are teaching people with blindness, How they, they blind. measure, yeah, they, like they measure your guys' success as being as sighted as possible. And that just doesn't work for you. So for you, you've just learned how to make your current situation accessible to you. Right. And, and I'm not and saying that way. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that everything that I learned from my mobility and vision specialists were inherently wrong. It's right, just sometimes course, the mentality goes a little bit into the teachings that I think it's fundamentally not useful for me, especially going yes. into um, becoming an independent person as an adult. So, you know, I love that I was introduced to like Apple products and, and the Mac very early on, like this is like the iPod days before an iPhone existed. I was gotcha. shown what a Mac can do with the, with the speaking and the, um, you know, taking all the text from my, my homework and being able to read it to me. Yeah, and that's amazing. And I, like, I love that. So there's definitely, again, it's being offered as many options as possible. I think it's the most important. That's what I educate to bring awareness Absolutely. of it. You should know your options. Uh, I was never offered Braille. And that seems really silly for someone who cannot read. Because practically speaking, I could have a word, like a sentence maybe up to my eyes, like a big font two inches away. 
I'd be able to read it, but then I have to like, really like, it hurts. It actually hurts yeah. to stream my eyes like that. So why I've never actually been able to read a book, let alone a full on chapter in a book. And that's because I never was taught Braille, which is this, essentially it's access um, to literature for people who cannot see. And uh, it was just never, never offered to me. And I, I feel like I missed out on that, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, is that something yeah. you eventually want to learn? It, it, it has, and I, I've uh, studied up on a little bit of it, but I also started learning guitar during, uh, <laughs> um, and this is, a, this is a whole other thing. I started learning guitar this past three months, and uh, that will damage your fingers. So, you know, my fingers start bleeding now. They, um, you know, get pretty torn up, and that Yikes. is actually, so a lot of blind people cannot learn guitar, or it's not recommended that they try to, because it's going to affect or impact the ability to read Braille, um, at least at a good speed. And um, at least I have this this hand, so if I do ever want to learn Braille, I can always try to learn it right-handed, <laughs> um, while this one is, you know, for the frets and, and everything on the guitar. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so that's, that's uh, I'm a creative person, I love the arts, and I think it's because I never really had uh, access to the literature growing up that I, you know, that's my priority. You're kind of like, yeah, it's I, like, I value the arts a little yeah, more. Yeah, you do wanna, or you don't kind of thing. Exactly. I want to verse myself in as much of that as possible. Got you. So uh, what I really want to talk about the time that we went to France. Yeah. <laughs> we went to the south of France together. Look forward to the day we go back. Listen. Something. What I would give to go back right now. We were in Cannes, France for Cannes Lions, um, supporting the Tommy Hilfiger Adaptive Wonderman Thompson team. And we had a blast. It yeah. was amazing out there. The weather is freaking incredible. It's, oh, it it's an amazing place. It's literally the most amazing I'm glad place. you got a second try to go to. Right, I did. <laughs> she, she went twice. I did not. Uh, right. Month back to back and, and luckily the yeah, time that was pretty much probably Pretty one weather. of the dumbest things i had ever done was like go to can <laughs> twice within a month's time yeah. um talk a little bit about how you use what you've told me before accessible knowledge as a tool to travel internationally because i know a lot of people will look at the both of us and think that if they were in our same situations or not in our same situations, they would doubt that we would have the ability to How travel the hell? <laughs> yeah. right across the world to yeah. totally different countries and enjoy it and experience it just like, you know, as good as anybody else would. So kind of give like maybe some top tips or something like that when it comes to traveling overseas because you have like a whole documentary about it so yeah uh convenient time to plug i so i just released um a 15 minute doc on youtube uh that i've been working on called blind abroad that literally tackles a few subject matters but one of them obviously as someone who's hosting uh, i'm showing how i'm getting to a country like turkey from la and mm. what that experience is like getting to lax trying to even find the uh, the ticket uh, mm -hmm. counter to like go and, and get checked in for my flight uh, and me, you know, appearing at the wrong ticket counter and then a very nice woman, um, you know, giving me assistance, but then also her, it all came from a place of positive intent, but she, you know, didn't have the best etiquette when it came to like, how do I guide a blind person? She was wonderful, uh, great company, but even asked at one point, like, hey, do you want me to take your cane? And I'm like, no, nope, that's how I, I know my space. That's how I know where I'm not going to get bumped this. on the side. <laughs> you can only cover my one side, right? Um, right. 
so I recommend don't take a blind person's cane. And I've had that happen to me before numerous times from like Uber drivers. So I just best practice is don't. So anyway, of course, if someone's like juggling and and, <laughs> and needs to just take a seat, maybe uh, in right. that scenario. But not when you're navigating, you know, mobile and walking uh, or just trying to navigate around the world. So anyway, uh, Blind Abroad, we cover what it's like going to Turkey and Istanbul. And I actually meet blind people who live in Istanbul, both young and um, those who are working in a profession uh, at one of the largest tech companies and making apps that are beneficial for the blind community and making uh, movies, for example, accessible and, and daily news and, and stuff. So wow. definitely check it out. It's really cool. Uh, you, you get to see. And it's on YouTube. Correct. It's free to okay. watch. It's it's on YouTube. Uh, and that actually launched alongside a podcast. I started with uh, the wonderful Lolo. We'll also be on in the next couple of weeks here. Uh, yes. We'll go a little further into detail about some stuff. Cans trip and everything. But for me, yeah, it's been a practice that I've had to learn. Uh, mm-hmm. I decided to, and this happened like when I first graduated high school, three days before graduating, I decided to take a flight to Los Angeles all by myself. It was my first flight all alone. Uh, mm. And this was like my first domestic travel, of course, um, that I wasn't with my parents and my parents were scared to death because, uh, you know, they're, they're just, the way they see me is, could be a little fragile at, at that time. Um, I think that perception has since changed, of course, with them seeing all the things I've, I've been doing the last few years. And Same but, with my parents. Yes, yeah, so my, my dad has a background in security and, and law enforcement and stuff, while my mom has a background in medical and like nursing and stuff. So it's like mm-hmm. thinking for a second, like they have a blind kid, they're probably very coddling, very, um, yeah, at, at 100%. Times, yeah, at times, yeah, but they, they, they've been very, they're wonderful. I love my parents. Parents do their um, best. They yeah, and, best. and I think they realize, like, <laughs> as I'm getting older, like, I need to see a little bit more of the world and stuff and, and get out there. So yeah, I felt trapped. They understood that. It took a little time to open up, but I felt trapped being the suburban place, a little bit outside Philly, of mm-hmm. course, like in more of the suburban areas. And I had to go, I had to get out of there. And the thing was, I was going to go to film school. Again, the academic system, as we've kind of talked about, it kind of failed me a little bit. It, it, yeah. it didn't do justice for me and I couldn't learn the way that my other peers could learn right or at least in a way that substituted that they wanted me to try to learn like them but that's Mm. not practical uh for someone who can't see so i ultimately decided i'm gonna try a gap year but i I promise my parents i'm gonna check out some schools while i'm like out in la i've organized all this with strangers who i met through youtube like friends who i met online while i was in high school and i wasn't doing this by any professional means it was just sharing short films i made while i was in high school and stuff and connecting with other uh, fellow creatives so that's amazing yeah and and so i i made it um i asked for assistance when i first went to um the philly airport and um they were wonderful they're they, you've been traveling uh, ever since <laughs> yeah they helped kind of guide me around and um they always offer me a wheelchair and you know that benefits some folks and right. for me it's just uh my um eyes that are broken right it's yeah, my eyes yeah. that just don't work you know my assistance looks different for you know someone who of course is deaf or has a physical disability or cognitive mm-hmm. disability and um i had a pretty good experience going out to la of course my dad ringing every internet friend i have to me of course you know, is he there are, are you real or <laughs> are you not a predator like i'm like dad that's a girl that's younger than me literally that's picking me up from the airport <laughs> um i love it I so anyway love it so it's it's um it was a good time and, and that's I've, good. Been, I've been pretty much out here since found work found uh my break into the industries uh without going to film it. school and 
One of my and a lot of people to... are asking questions about being a filmmaker and all of that kind of stuff. So I want to get to the questions, you know, okay. as we wind down, because there are a bunch of questions here. Okay, so I'm going to go through a couple quick answer ones. So here we go. Do you have a service dog? No, uh, I've looked into it. And just quick answer for why I haven't logistically. Um, still always in the back of my head. Love dogs, but love the benefit from one definitely would but being as i've traveled internationally and do that quite often um, nowadays different countries have different laws towards service animals and guide dogs and they don't always recognize them as a mm -hmm. legal guide dog if they were trained outside of the country so that's something i Got have to it. always consider and i'll have to see kind of like where my life is in the next couple years the flow of things and no, maybe down the line. Got it. Okay, now this is a really good one. It didn't even cross my mind, but it would be great to get your opinion. So I don't know if you've heard the show on Netflix called Love is Blind, but <laughs> what do you think of shows like Love is Blind or Blind Date using blind as a way of making money? Uh, I'll be honest. Like, I don't want to hate on it, but I also, it can get annoying because there are blind people who are making content and, and there are blind people who are... Um, trying to share the actual like blind experience and my only like real issue with that is you know they're trying to monetize a snippet of the blind experience um which is it's fine the, the problem is the wording that when people are searching for actual blind content creators and their content now you're just kind of gonna get search results for able-bodied people or sighted people and they're monetized over the top kind of simulation for mm -hmm. a gimmick right and it doesn't help the narrative of, of being blind. It doesn't, especially when you're not consulting with actual blind people on a project like that, um, right. or even like doing a segment that could actually have a real blind person on it. I don't know if Love is Blind has, and when it first launched, it definitely didn't have an actual blind person on it. Uh, I know I there's remember. been like some, yeah. I know there's been some push for it and, and it might actually end up happening in the second season if it, they haven't already. I've never wanted to give the show much attention at all. It's also just not my, I had an MTV dating uh, speed game like craze back when I was like a young teenager. <laughs> I, I'm not going through that phase again. It's, it seems like it's making a comeback, but um, next and, and uh, date with your mom or something. Um, yeah, I remember uh, those. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, uh, it filled a thing, uh, a piece of amusement and entertainment for me, but doesn't do that anymore. Gotcha. Yeah, that's okay. my uh, yeah thoughts on that. Awesome. Um, so what is the podcast name? Blind Abroad Podcast. Um, pretty easy. So blindabroad.com. Think of it as sort of this platform. It's, there's a blog. There's uh, a documentary right now. Hopefully we'll see plural of the docs uh, down the line once COVID is kind of, um, has sort of gotten to an easier place to be able to travel again. Uh, but anyway, that trip I took was back in January before things had really changed rapidly in the following weeks. Um, so I love looking back at it and, and, man, I really do want to do more, but that's why I've decided to make the podcast so I can still connect with people like we are right now um, from mm -hmm. all around the world, people that I've been able to share travel experiences with and talk about that and, and share it. And hopefully down the line with that report that we've built up, we can meet those people. We can sit down with them. We can cover their stories, whether they're champions within accessibility or we're uncovering how disability intersects with different cultures and societies and architecture of their country and all that. So that's Blind Abroad Podcast. Blind Abroad has a blog and and documentary and I love it cool I love it so <laughs> enough plugging right hey no this is this is what it's about okay I told sure. you this is what I want people to do I want people to plug their content 
so that way people can know where to go to next to find out more and learn more you know james has a whole youtube channel so make sure you definitely go on his youtube page and learn so much about technology accessible knowledge all those things i love that term accessible knowledge i want to get into that more but unfortunately we just don't have enough time but i know you've got a bunch of stuff on your youtube channel about that so as we wind down with every guest that i've had thus far i ask the question what do you want the new narrative to be about people who are blind and how you all experience life for me my content the way i, I present luckily I, I do a visual medium as a person who has a visual impairment so i'm able to actually emulate and show people how i see the world both in a practical and visual standpoint but hopefully also in, the, in a mental um, kind of point of view too. And people can really see different. That's my whole narrative. I, I want people to watch a piece of content from me, watch a story that I've been able to help share of someone else's who maybe doesn't do video or film or even just share it with a different audience. And I hope that people see different from it. And um, can hopefully walk away thinking like, either how can I be more involved or, or learn more about accessibility or be better prepared if disability ever impacts me, whether it's directly or indirectly in life, because that is a topic that I feel like not enough people have really, they, they shy away from it because they, they don't like the idea of being disabled. It's a scary thought for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But life moves on and we live happy, fulfilling lives, even Absolutely. in cases where we lose the ability to be able-bodied. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's just all about having that knowledge, knowing your resources. And by paying attention to kind of creators like Lolo and, and myself and numerous of people I can shout out, um, Ricky Pointer, who's deaf and hard of hearing yes. and, and, and on all the different platforms, sharing these pieces of knowledge and these perspectives can really help prepare anyone just to, again, be aware if they ever encounter it, whether it's with a friend or family member or themselves. And, and don't let the fear consume you because life is worth living no matter what your circumstances are. Absolutely. Well, James, thank See you different. so much. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm thank so you. I'm so happy. This is as amazing as I knew it would be. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, if you guys want to catch the entire interview, it will be stored on my IGTV. If you want to learn more about James and all the dope shit that he does, <laughs> go on YouTube. Type in his name, James Rath, R-A-T-H. Yep. You will be able to find everything there. Please check out his documentary, Blind Abroad, and his podcast, Blind Abroad Podcast. And yes, <laughs> thank you so much, James. I appreciate it. Thank you. you. And then tomorrow, we will have another guest on The New Narrative. Bye, everyone. I have so much respect and admiration for my good friend, James. This conversation was absolutely mind-blowing. I learned so much about the blind community. I just hope you all learned something new as well, because this is why this show is here. Please make sure you check out James's travel documentary, Blind Abroad, available on his YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash James Rath. And subscribe while you're there. Thank you again, and catch me next time on The New Narrative. This podcast is brought to you by Entertainment Speakers Bureau in association with Sitting Pretty Productions and Tasty Shop Media with production sound design by Bonnie and Clyde Productions.